So when we start with online time, there are a few things we mentioned. First of all, is that a lot of times it's really about quality and not just quantity. Sometimes we can, it, it would be so much easier if this was just simple and it's like, okay, give our kids this many minutes, they can do whatever they want. And that's just the magic minutes. Oh, how I wish that that could be it. But it's not. <laughs> but one of the things that can help, and, and we think can even help when you then share with your kids, is to talk about the quality of your screen time. So almost all screen use falls into three categories. Creating, connecting, and consuming. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episodes, we have just a couple quick announcements. We would love for you to join our upcoming 30-day Thrive During the Holiday Season program, which is a community we created a couple years ago of like-minded women who want to prioritize their health and well-being during the busy, fun, yet often stressful holiday season. But like most of us, we still want to have fun and enjoy this really fabulous time of year. So this community is all about support and accountability for you for 30 days. You're going to gain valuable insight into your habits and mindset and patterns through group coaching, both from Marnie and myself, as well as all the other fabulous women. You will learn mindfulness and stress-reducing techniques maybe even start a meditation practice. We'll talk about meal planning and prep and how we can nourish our bodies to thrive during this time of year versus being depleted. And you'll boost your energy and feel fabulous right now. Let's not wait till January until you want to start those New Year's resolutions. Let's finish out 2022 feeling fabulous. So head on over to the link in our show notes or jump on over to our website to get more details and sign up today. And better yet, Grab a friend or neighbor or family member or someone else to join you in this fun 30-day experience. And then the second announcement is just to remind you that we would love to have you on our podcast for a 15-minute health transformation audit. If you've listened to us before, you know we started dropping these episodes several months ago, and it's where we bring you, our community members, onto the show so that we can guide you to identify what's holding you back from your ideal health and wellness And together we'll analyze what's going on in your life so that you can walk away with a tangible action step to guide you on your journey to find your own art of living well. We are so excited and love doing these episodes. So you can click the link in our show notes to sign up or simply email us at theartoflivingwellpodcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to getting to know you on our podcast. And now let's welcome today's amazing guest, Tracy Foster. Tracy is the co-founder and executive director of Screen Sanity, an international nonprofit that equips families to maximize the benefits of technology while minimizing the side effects so that kids can grow up happy and healthy in a digital world. 
Tracy has co-authored two books to guide parents in digital wellness, and she contributes to news outlets such as the Wall Street Journal. Before starting Screen Sanity, Tracy invested 15 years developing organizational growth strategies as a management consultant with Mercer Management Consulting, then as an associate director at FSG. Did you know that the average American teenager now spends nine hours per day immersed in electronic media, and this is not including school-related technology? In today's episode, you are going to hear all about the amazing nonprofit organization Screen Sanity, which is a community for parents to gain confidence and competency so that they can have those really important but often difficult conversations with their kids about their technology usage. You will learn all about their five principles of digital health, and Tracy shares the specific tools that they have for families, including their social media playbook and lots of common sense tips and tools. We also do discuss a few mature topics like porn and cutting. So if you have little kids around, you'll want to use headphones for this episode or pause and listen to this show at another time. But these are really important topics, and there's some pretty alarming trends that Tracy shares, along with side effects of porn and other aspects of social media and devices that are wiring our kids' brains and impacting their their mental health as well. Marty and I both have teens, and we still struggle with setting boundaries on a consistent basis to limit our kids' screen time. And so we really benefited immensely from this conversation. Um, you know, one of the tips that Tracy shares is having, you know, tech-free time, specifically around dinner table conversations, because sitting as a family, regardless of what you're eating or where you're eating and having a conversation without screens is really powerful for the well-being of our kids as well as the adults. Um, we recently instituted a phone home basket that we have on the table, and I will say my biggest, the biggest offender in my house is not my kids for the most part, but it's my husband. So we hope that this conversation today will spark you to find your place to start helping your kids flourish as digital citizens and stay captivated by life, not screens. So with that, let's dive right into this powerful and enlightening conversation with Tracy Foster. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Shield Your Body. Shield Your Body is a company that makes products to shield your body against electromagnetic frequency, or EMF radiation, from modern technology. Did you know that all modern technology is a source of EMF radiation? Cell phones, laptops, Wi-Fi, even your refrigerator is a source of EMF radiation. And each year, we are exposed to more and more EMFs. There are literally thousands of high-quality, peer-reviewed scientific studies demonstrating clear links between exposure to EMF radiation and a wide range of negative health effects, from anxiety and infertility to sleep disruption and cancer. Fortunately, there are easy ways that you can reduce your EMF exposure right now that cost you absolutely nothing. After reading the Shield Your Body Guide, I stopped using my AirPods something I used daily for hours sometimes and have switched back to the old school wired headphones. And for me, after reading the Shield Your Body Guide, I really put my foot down and insisted that my kids keep their cell phones and their laptops out of their bedrooms at night while they were sleeping. And I've been working on Jordan as well. And I think after reading the guide and listening to our podcast, he has finally agreed to do that. So download your copy of a free guide at shieldyourbody.com to start improving your health right now. And be sure to check out our episode number 123 with R. Blank, CEO of Shield Your Body. 
Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for coming on our show today. We are very excited to have you because we know that screen time and digital devices are such a hot topic right now, and they affect such a large population um, from kids to teens to adults. And Stephanie and I both have teenagers that have cell phones and they use them more than we would like. And maybe even our husbands too, in all honesty. <laughs> and this topic is going to resonate with so many of our listeners out there. And we absolutely love what you're doing. And we can't wait to share your immense knowledge on this topic with everyone today. And we totally agree with you that we should all try to make a difference in helping our kids stay captivated by life and not by screens. And that will really help them find their art of living well. Yes, I love that. That's exactly right. Um, so Tracy, everyone has a story and we would love to hear your journey in a nutshell of how you became interested in helping parents help their kids navigate digital technology. Yes. Well, first, I love that way that you just described it, that it is totally about helping our kids to discover their art of living well. So when we think about this topic, yes, oftentimes it feels like we want to just like slap our kids on their wrist and be like, put that away. And that happens. But the why, the reason why we're doing that is because we want to invite them into something better that we know will satisfy them more. And so I just think you absolutely nailed that. Um, my own story goes back quite a few years, probably 12 years now at this point, I was pregnant with one of my kiddos and doing a project. I worked at a strategy consulting firm that focused on helping organizations achieve social impact. And I was working for a huge, huge toy company. Everyone listening, if they've ever probably almost ever owned a toy for their child, they owned a toy from this company. And um, it was at the point where companies were starting to put an app with every toy. Do you remember that phase where like every stuffed animal was also was like, no, this stuffed animal can have a virtual world. And it was really getting a lot of interest business-wise. Um, and so it was good for sales and it just seemed really like cutting edge. But as part of this work, their head of research and a bunch of the people sitting at the table basically shared, hey, we have some concerns about what this is doing to the development of our kiddos. Um, the way that these toys and products are designed, I had never understood how intentional it was about helping kids with their fine motor skills or their gross motor skills or other things. And so they, they started to pull in this research about some of the challenges. And I was pregnant at the time. And after one of the meetings, <laughs> you know, when you're pregnant, you get so much unsolicited advice. Like you just can't even make it up. You're like, okay, of course. And so the director of research came to me and he said, hey, you're hearing about how our industry is at a moral impasse. Like, we need to decide what do we do. But that's how it is for our society. And as you're raising this kiddo, you know, you're about to have a baby. Make sure that you're thinking about that for him. And so that was when I first kind of had that first glimpse of, ooh, some of these things seem so bright and shiny and wonderful and do have wonderful things. But what are some of the unintended things that might be happening? So that was just kind of, a seed in my head years ago. And then if probably four or five years ago, when one of my friends who had a kiddo at that point who was entering middle school was like, man, I'm not sure what to do about phones. It just kind of tricked my ear, caught my ear of, wow, this is another huge societal difference. What are some of those side effects and how do we move forward? And just realizing we talk a lot about how every parent has at least, almost every parent has at least owned and given what to expect when you're expecting. 
And we need a what to expect when you're tech expecting because there's no roadmap. Ladies, we are out there figuring this out on our own by trial and error. And what was so crazy when we first got started is we were just like, okay, well, let's just go ask the people a few years ahead of us, right? I mean, on so many parenting things, I feel like I can ask that group of people a little bit ahead of me and I never get a shortage of opinions. I just get such strong opinions that sometimes conflict with each other. And then I leave feeling a little bit more confused than I was when I entered. But on this topic, um, when we were going around and asking these parents who were just a little bit ahead of us, we would get these deer in the headlights looks of, I don't know, but do something different. And the most startling thing was the number of them who would then share these accidents that were happening to them or their kids and then say, and I've not told anyone that this happened. Things like exposure to porn or bullying or kids cutting themselves because of how you know they were feeling about posts that they were making and stuff like that. And so that just really quickened us to say, whoa, we're navigating this in the dark and we have to do it together. If every single one of us is sitting here feeling so shamed about this that we can't talk and share experiences, then we are not gonna be able to be stronger together. So that was what formed the beginnings of us jumping in. We tried not to, but we were like, this is something we need. And so we jumped in. Wow, Tracy, that's amazing. So you left your corporate job to form Screen Sanity. Yep, that's right. Okay. And what was that like? Like, how did you just, I mean, because it's this uncharted territory. And like you said, there weren't even people that were five years ahead of you or moms or dads that were a few years older that had been through it that knew what to do because it's all new. It's, it's new for everyone. And we're all yeah. navigating this with like, you know, I don't know, some goggles on, if you will, <laughs> um, certain colored goggles on maybe. Yes. So how, how, how did you form this? And, you know, can you just share a little bit more about yeah. that? Well, the biggest thing we did was just listen. I mean, I think that we probably talked to a thousand other parents within the first three months of this coming together. And we just noticed some key themes of what people were looking for. And there were a few things that people were looking for. Number one, they were looking for some common sense tips. And when I say common sense, we're huge fans of common sense media. We actually tried to pitch our idea to common sense media because we had no intentions of creating an organization. And they were like, we love that idea. You should do it. We're like, no. But, um, but they wanted some type of a framework around like how to even think about this. They also wanted some basic education about the side effects um, because we were just starting to get some, some awareness about, hey, how is this working behind the scenes? And I think especially for them to have, for each of us to have our own motivation that this matters, understanding that it matters is really helpful. And then also, you know, it can be really hard to have alignment with your spouse, with your, <clears throat> with your kids' grandparents, with the babysitter, with the other people in your community. And so the more that you have, you feel armed and confident with, hey, this is why this matters. It gives you more strength in the game. And then the third thing I would say that they were really looking for was community because this is hard, but it's so much harder doing it on your own. I mean, I'm sure that you guys have probably had your kids say about something, but I'm the only one. Like, you're yeah. ridiculous. I'm the only one who doesn't have TikTok at age nine. And you're like, there's no way that's true, right? Or whatever it is. Um, but so that was happening so much. And we realized if we can get parents into community, it was startling to us how oftentimes those groups of parents would say none of us wanted to do this, but they all did it because they didn't want their kid to be the only one. 
And so those were, we heard those themes and we started to realize, wow, there are some basic principles that we can help provide or facilitate to address those three things. Absolutely. We've all, Marnie and I both have had these conversations with our kids, Um, you know, and I'm amazed that there's like national surveys out there that show that screens and technology are like the number one battleground in homes across the country. I mean, I can believe it, but number one is interesting. And yet at the same time, only 14% of kids express that they've actually had a really helpful conversation with a trusted adult about the digital world. So how is your organization trying to change this? And I know you have the start five rule, rules of thumb. Maybe you can dive into that a bit. Yeah. So I love that you referenced that stat, Stephanie, because that's the, one of the things that keeps us going is our kids are living a more and more digital life. That is where they are expressing themselves. They're meeting people. They're They're living out their adolescence with the devices and apps that we have these days. And so to hear that only 14% of kids feel like they've ever had a helpful conversation with any trusted adult, it makes me feel like how we started because we felt like we parents were like going through this blind. So are they. And in almost every other thing that our kids do, they've, they've had conversations with a teacher or a parent or a coach. Um, and so our goal is to basically be the secret weapon for parents so that parents feel the confidence and the competence to start having those conversations. Because I think it can really feel intimidating because our kids are the tech experts in almost all cases. They're more tech savvy than we are. And so we can doubt ourselves. We can doubt, do I even really have anything to offer? And so we try to really help parents feel like, hey, here's an example of the words that you can use. Here's a here's an approach that you can take so that they step into the ring. So we do that through three ways. We have training. Our key training is this book club. It's a video guided book club called Screen Sanity. And um, you can download it free on our website, or if you want a printed copy, you can grab it from Amazon. But it's designed for you to invite a few other friends, be it your kids, parents from your dance studio or your soccer team or your school or whatever it is, your neighborhood, and just say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Are you too? Let's go through it. And in it, it lays out our start or start rules of thumb, which is just how do you get started on this? Um, but I'll say real quick too, we also offer a lot of tools, things like we have a babysitter printable that you can put up to help even with the littles. You know, hey, here are general things like who's our pediatrician, what food allergies are there? But then also, hey, do I want you to be taking pictures of my kids? And how much screen time should they be having when you're here? And all of those questions that just communicating it helps so much. And then we also have tips through our newsletter and stuff like that. But what you mentioned, Stephanie, the S-T-A-R-T, this is really focused on the fact that I think as parents, we can just get so overwhelmed with more and more and more crushing us on our shoulders. And we want to extol to everyone that it's just about finding your place to start. We're not going to ever tell anyone, here are the line in the sand. If you do this too early, you're a bad parent because things vary. And we're not going to say you have to do all of these, but just listen to them and see what would be most helpful to you that makes you feel this sense of like, that would help me to feel like I'm living well. Why don't I try that? And then if that goes well, then you're more likely to try something else. So our five letters are S-T-A-R-T, like just take a start. Um, S stands for start with yourself. So this is a little bit of our plot twist, but it is true that when we think about this, we are the ultimate models for our kids. And so the more that we can start to be paying attention to our own tech use. And when we're, you know, scrolling 
Pinterest or Instagram or whatever it is while our kid's trying to have a conversation with us. It's good, not just because we're trying to say that we should have better habits, but I would say it's also just to help us lead with empathy. Because when we're talking about our kids putting down their phones or putting it away during dinner or whatever it might be, it's really powerful if you start by realizing, oh, that's really hard for me. So that then this is one of the few things in parenting where we and our kids are, I don't know how to say this best, but almost like we're on equal ground. Most of the things that we have to tell our kids not to do, most adults are not doing. Most adults are not using illicit drugs. Most adults mathematically can't be drinking underage. You know, there are all these things that it just feels like we're top down and we're kind of, maybe some of us did that when we were kids, but we're not doing it now, right? But on this topic, we are on equal ground because we are struggling too. So the more that we can share about our experiences with struggling and and all of that, the better. And we have different tips about considering using a smartwatch or stripping apps off your phone. We can talk more about how we look at that as our own adults. The T is about device-free zones. So we are on devices almost all the time, all of us. And it's just helpful to find some space and place where we say this is device-free. And so the T there is tables and bedtimes. If you're looking for a place to start, those are the two places we recommend. Device-free meals, meals together have such incredible research showing that it's so powerful for fur kids. It's unbelievable how if we do try to lock eye to eye, even if it's McDonald's or in 15 minutes, it doesn't need to be a long drawn out thing. It's just really grounding and it helps our kids do better in life on a lot of crazy statistics. And the thing is, it doesn't depend on the food, like I said, or any of those elements, but what it depends on is the connection. And so it can be so easy, like in our house, sometimes it'll start with like Wordle. Okay, like Wordle, that's a fun family activity. But then, oh, all of a sudden, everyone has their phone to do Wordle. And now no one's actually doing Wordle anymore. And it's like all these different things. And so you're just not making that connection. So if you can reserve that as a space, it's so powerful. And it will probably be really hard for the first few times because your kids will be like, I can't believe it. I'm in withdrawal. You might be in withdrawal. Your husband might be in withdrawal. You might be really grumpy with each other. But if you stick with it even three or four times, that's when you start to be like, okay, I get it. You know, then the other thing that I think is one of the most powerful things is getting devices out of bedrooms. So they get in there for such innocent reasons. They are an alarm clock. They provide your entire music playlist, right? You want to fall asleep to music. That's why they got in there. But the research is showing that 80% of our kids are using their phones when they're supposed to be sleeping. And even if they're up doing something relatively positive on their devices, sleep is a number one factor for mental wellness. We are in the middle of a mental health crisis. We all know as moms what it's like to be sleep deprived. You are not your best self. So if we can help our kids, and ideally, this is where we would love to make this one of those things. This is why we say, talk to the others in your community, because if it becomes a norm that everyone charges their device outside of their room, it's so much easier. Our kids don't have as much FOMO, as much fear of missing out, because not as much stuff's coming over. Night. The other thing is, I will say that when kids or anyone are by themselves in the dark, you know, tired, those are when some of the most regrettable things happen. So taking phones out of out of bedrooms at night has other benefits as well. I just want to interrupt you for one second. Please. So we've had that rule in our house 
that my husband doesn't always follow, but my kids <laughs> do actually follow. However, so we, I have them keep their devices in the bathroom. What yeah. I've noticed with my youngest, who's definitely had the most exposure to screens just based on her age. Now she spends all her time in the bathroom. <laughs> like we will go to bed, my husband and I, and her bathroom wall, like connects to our bedroom wall. And I will hear her in the bathroom. I'm like, Gabby, what are you doing in the bathroom? Like you have to go to bed. But now it's like, instead of spending her time in her bedroom, she's just hanging out in the bathroom. So I'm like, how is this solving the problem? I know. And I mean, it'd be so interesting in that situation to like consider, hey, I mean, as kids get older, you want them to have more independence. That's the thing too, is you know, you want them to experiment with some of these things while they're still under your roof. It's not like, okay, until the moment you graduate from high school, Every device is not only not charging in your room, it's actually charging underneath my pillow. You know, like you have to, like, that's how hard it would be to get it. Or in a safe. I mean, there are some people and some kids with certain conditions where we actually do hear about parents who like put it in a safe. But I mean, it's so interesting, like just how to help her assess or be like, hey, would it be helpful for you if we put this in my room? Or what is it that's drawing you so much into into this that you are willing to like sit on the bathroom counter uncomfortably literally tethered to the wall which by the way tethered to the wall just so you know is how we used to have it as kids like when we used to have phone conversations we had to tether it to the wall i heard from someone the other day who said that they did this fun experiment where they actually all tethered their phones i think they only did it for like three hours but they each had their phone tethered in a different place and they did it for their kids to be like just so you know when we wanted to make a phone call, which obviously our kids never use their phones to actually make phone calls very much anymore. We actually had, it was attached to a wall. Let's do it as an experiment. And it was like the kids at the end were just like, how did you do that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. That's, so that, that's a great experiment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So the A stands for accountability, which is not a very sexy word, but it but it is essentially helping to think about the types of content that our kids get access to. Um, a recent stat that I read showed that 25% of kids age 8 to 12 are watching online video-based violent pornography on a regular basis. Most parents would not think that that is living well for their kids. And there is a lot of research that shows how even if you think, well, that's just a way that they can learn or explore their curiosity, this is not what you want them to be learning and exploring their curiosity on. And they get on there almost all the time in really innocent ways. They accidentally type whitehouse.com or someone says a word on the playground. And it's like, I remember back in the day being like, okay, I'm going to ask my best friend's older sister, what does that word mean? And then she'll like tell you, but you don't now instead you go to Google and Google doesn't just tell you, they actually pop up a video right? I mean, I've noticed this with my kids and we'll look something up. I don't wait, even scroll down to try to find like a written description. I click on the video. So there are so many ways that our kids are just accidentally getting into that. So we recommend things like filters at your router level that just make it less likely for that content to get through. If your kids do have phones or social media, we love this product Bark that can go on their device. It can be scanning things and it doesn't just scan for like unsavory content, but it also looks for things like self-harm, and other bark? things like that. Bark. B-A-R-K. Okay. okay. It's awesome. Now, it doesn't scan everything. Like Snapchat is this hidden layer that even mm. these things can't get to. But what we like about it and what's really important and when we talk to kids about it is sometimes it can really feel like 
you're doing this. Parents sometimes will be like, well, but I want to tell my, my kid to know that I trust them. Or kids will say, don't you trust me? And our response to that is, we do trust you. But when you get in a car, we ask you to wear a seatbelt for your protection because there are things out there. And so this, I am not on your phone every night reading all of your messages. And actually, ideally, one thing that we love is saying, hey, this is on all of our phones. You know what? Like dad and I have this on our phone too. That's a personal choice, of course. But it's just, hey, this is a way that we're going to try to keep ourselves safe and help make sure that we're living well. Um, the other thing I would say, the third thing related to just some of the hard content is the, the third way to protect, maybe I should say the first way, is really through conversation with your kids. Because unfortunately, it is at a, a fever pitch or whatever, at a at a level where it's really not likely to be in if they get a nude picture sent to them unsolicitedly, but more of a when. Um, and so the more that you can come alongside, help your kids know if they tell you something, you're going to be calm. You have to practice your poker face so that if they're like, hey, here's a picture that I just got sent from Max. And you like look over and it's your best friend's son's naked torso, you know, like, and you're not just like, ah! but you're like, okay, huh. you know, practice your poker face and um, just say, wow, what did you think about that? Because the more that we can help them know that we're safe harbor, whether something was sent to them unsolicitedly or whether they have gotten trapped in something that they know they shouldn't be doing. It is a huge thing that we should be celebrating, even if we have to scream into a pillow later, that our kids are coming to us and talking with us about it. And can we get into that a little bit more, the accountability yeah. piece before we move yeah. on? Because I, when I think of accountability, like we've had these conversations with our kids over the years. You know, I have 12-year-old, 14, and 17-year-old. Mm-hmm. But for us, we fall with the accountability. So I'll talk about, we have this little charging station outside the bedrooms. And really only my youngest, who's 12, who just got a device, is the only one that uses it. And myself, you know, and my husband's downstairs, but the older two, and you know, I talk about it, but then sometimes they go to bed after me and I'll say, put your phone outside in the morning. Where do you think it is? It's not outside in the charging station. So for parents that have had those conversations and they have tried to implement some of the suggestions and you've already given so many good tips, like how do we, how do we really make this work? Just like brushing their teeth every day or (laughs) emptying the the dishwasher or, you know, clearing your plate. Like how do we have it become that routine? I know. Well, if you remember back to any of those routines, at least in my house, those routines like still aren't ingrained. (laughs) I feel like sometimes I'm like, Hey, look at this plate on the table. Yes. You're right. You're absolutely right. So I do think that it needs to go in that category. Sometimes for us, I think we hope that it's going to just be so easy. But really, a lot of those things that we teach our kids, it requires consistency to the point that it's almost harder for us. I mean, the number of times where I'm like this, the first, what is it, year of when you have your kid unload the dishwasher, it is actually harder for you than if you had just done it yourself, Uh you know? And so I think that that's what happens with these device things. You have to be consistent and you have to be willing to be like, okay, hey, this is where it goes. There's this really cool new product on the market. It's a bit expensive but it's really cool. It's called the ARO, A-R-O. And it's basically like this smart box. I I have one and you can put your phones. It's only phones right now. So you can't do like iPads or anything, but you put your phones in there and it has this app that like gamifies how much your phone's in there. Like 
hey, you just had your phone in here for eight hours. Good for you. And it, it's kind of like in a sauna how they're like, it doesn't have like the flying unicorns, but it's like essentially like that. And so anyways, that's an interesting thing because then there literally is data on how much the phones were in the box overnight or not. But I don't know what the, you have to know what's right with your family. How do you handle when your kid didn't brush their teeth? How do you handle some of those other things? And just apply these types of things to that same level of, do they lose a privilege? Is it that this has to happen in order for them to get to go to sports practice? I don't know. It totally depends by family, but it's in that same category. Yeah. I think it's just that it's hard work and you're right. It's more work for the parents to get this started. Oh, it is so much work. I mean, that's one thing that we do think it's, well, actually this is a perfect transition to the next letter. Next letter is R, ride, practice, drive. (coughs) We don't specifically tout an age at which you should wait, but I will say to your point, Stephanie, it is more work. And so the more that we find if you can, if you can get ahead of this, which most of us haven't gotten ahead of this because these products didn't exist when, you know, kids were at those ages. So there's no guilt. There's no shame. But for those who do have younger kids who are just starting to come up, we like to talk about how, just like we teach our kids to drive, where we give them increasing responsibility as they demonstrate competence. Let's do that with devices too. Right now, because devices are so user-friendly, it's like, oh, sure. I mean, the average age that a kid gets an iPhone is nine from what we've read most recently, nine years old, no filters. Okay. And it seems like it can work because, well, every kid knows how to just intuitively use this device, but not every kid knows how to use it healthily in a healthy way. Most of us don't know how to use it in a healthy way, myself included. And so the more that we can actually not give our kids the whole world at their fingertips and the weight of that on their shoulders, the healthier it is for them. So we love it if you're able to, to say, okay, what's my use case for getting a device for my kids? Um, Because sometimes those kids get it at nine because they're going to soccer practice and the parent wants to be able to get a hold of them if, you know, the soccer practice is canceled or they're doing these dance competitions that last all day and they want to be able to keep in touch. Thankfully, I mean, only recently do we now live in a time where there are awesome like kids' smartwatches or even an Apple watch or... Um, these basic phones that are able to help meet that actual need that you have without giving all the extras. And it can create a really wonderful way for your kids to grow and learn. But to your point, Stephanie, it also helps you not have to take on as much all at once of like, oh my gosh, okay. Because your kid will fall into more things the more that they have available. So if you can tackle like, my kid now knows how to do one-on-one texting. Because let's just say group texting is like a whole new, like peel back the onion. Right. So the more Uh you can pace it out, it's good for your kids, but it's also extremely self-interested that it's good for you too, I would say. And I would say we've had a couple of those. Well, one of those devices, the phones that you mentioned, Tracy, for parents out there with younger kids that are like, oh, I need to be able to get in touch with them. We have the Gizmo watch and two of my kids had it. We've had it for a period of like a good five years. And it is brilliant and it works so well. And if that's all you need, is for them to get in touch with you or you to get in touch with them. It's perfect. There's no reason in my mind they need anything more than that. So, And did you feel, Stephanie, like you noticed that you were teaching your kids habits and etiquettes even on that watch? Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, and, then, and, then, and there's a little bit of texting. You can text, but only like a few, um, a few words. So it's character yeah. let. And only so many people that you can have in your phone as a contact. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, because even little things like how do they care for it? Do they know how to charge it? How many times Uh do they lose the watch? I mean, little things like that, that you're like, oh, this is, what if this was a however many dollar phone? This watch is just helping them. Okay. It got driven over by the car. I'm really sad, but I'm not as sad as it would have been if it were an iPhone. Exactly. I didn't jump in the water with it. All those things. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay, so our last letter is T, which is called time well spent. And that really goes back to, uh, it's not quite, I think art of living well is trademarked, but it's essentially what we're trying to do is help our kids really think about what time well spent is, what living well looks like for them. And so we want to be really clear to parents that it looks like that. It's not just about that offline. Yes, there are things offline, and we'll talk about that, but also online. So when we start with online time, there are a few things we mentioned first of all, is that a lot of times it's really about quality and not just quantity. Sometimes we can, it it would be so much easier if this was just simple and it's like, okay, give our kids this many minutes, they can do whatever they want. And that's just the magic minutes. Oh, how I wish that that could be it. But it's not. (laughs) But one of the things that can help and, and we think can even help when you then share with your kids is to talk about the quality of your screen time. So almost all screen use falls into three categories, creating, connecting, and consuming. And we think about it kind of like the food chain or not the food chain, the food pyramid from back when we were kids, where it's like consuming is like the sweets. It's not bad. I love getting to consume. It's a gift to be able to have this access to information that can help us have, you know, laughs or breaks or whatever. But if we consume too much of it, we don't feel good, just like brownies, even though I love brownies. Um, So creating and connecting, we can do a lot of those things. We can have a lot of servings of those and our brain doesn't start to turn into a zombie. We aren't struggling as much with comparison. So we can talk a little bit about the types of screen use. The other thing that we say a lot with time online for the parent angle is the, the, our kids are on devices so much. Their digital world to many of them feels more real than any of us understand. It, it isn't, there isn't this like, real world and digital world. It's like this whole merge. And so the more that we can show interest and get involved in their digital world, the better. So finding ways to step into their world, is it instead of a movie night, do you do a YouTube night? And each person, everyone submits like, here's a funny or interesting YouTube video that I've watched. Or if you have a kiddo who's into games, sit and watch them play their game, ask them about it. (laughs) Sometimes... (laughs) You'd be like, oh, could I play too? But you cannot do that. Your kid, you will get the quickest look if your kid is a gamer and they're like, no, 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 that will affect my stats. You absolutely cannot play as me. All my friends will see you fumbling through the land or whatever, you know, but, or if your kiddo uses Roblox, say, hey, or Minecraft, can you take me on a tour and just express intrigue and curiosity? And then sometimes I might come back around to like, oh, and have you ever seen this thing that's hard? Um, then in terms of time well spent offline, we do hear a lot because all of us are so busy. Um, every parent is just juggling or almost all parents are juggling so much. So one of the things that can be hard is, well, gosh, screens help me to do so many important things like make dinner, get my work done, all those types of things. What else would I do? And so a few things we share there. Number one, time outside is so valuable. So some families, it can be useful to say, hey, Maybe do a one-to-one ratio. If your kid's going to watch a show for 30 minutes or or surf your YouTube for 30 minutes, then they just know, and it goes back to what you were saying, Stephanie, those routines like brushing your teeth. They know that then they're going to go outside for 30 minutes. And that just helps them get back 
into touch with, with their bodies and with, with their surroundings. Another thing is chores are very good. There was an article in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal that said something like it was titled why unloading the dishwasher is good for your mental health. And so, you know, our kids are not going to thank us for helping them to do chores, but they are so good. And so, yeah, hey, get off your device. And one of the things that I think about sometimes in my own home is it is a battle to get my kids to do their chores sometimes. And it's also a battle to get them off screens sometimes. Yes. And so if I'm going to battle, let's at least have that battle lead to something that's going to like help me feel better at the end of the day. Like, okay, you guys are clearly bored. Go, you know, fold some laundry or whatever it is. Um, and then the third thing I'd say is the value of boredom. We live in an age where our kids, many of them, have never, in some cases, really had to experience boredom. You know, like, especially when this is one of those things that you just don't think about. But when you're a new mom and you have a kiddo and you're so tired and you're in the grocery store, you know, back in the day, the kid would actually have to learn how to navigate the grocery store. And the parents oftentimes would help be like, how many things can you find that are red? And that is exhausting. And how many times do you see the letter A? And the parent doesn't have to like do everything, you know, but the kids learn how to be bored. And so nowadays, there's just a lot less opportunity to experience that boredom. And it's one of the most important things because we develop our own coping skills. And so we work a lot with mental health organizations sharing about how so many people these days, they don't have coping skills. They have coping skills. And it is this, uh-huh. it's, oh, I'm bored, this, oh, yes. you know? And so then when we're facing these hardships, which life is hard, we don't have as much muscle or as many tools in our toolkit. So the more that we can help our kids learn how to navigate boredom and say, okay, I'm bored. Oh, I'm going to go shoot hoops in the backyard or I'm going to go do this. Okay, I might feel like Brene Brown um, did a podcast last year talking about boredom and kids. And she's like, your kids, prop teens, she's talking about teens. If you expect them to like be bored for 30 minutes, they will probably act like they are dying because they literally <laughs> are like, they're like suffocating. Like, I don't, I'm sorry, what? I, I, I'm, I'm supposed to find something, you know, because if you're not used to it, it does feel so out of, out of the ordinary, but it's so, 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 so good. So I, I couldn't agree and more. Yeah. I just remember like, being a kid in the summer and the days being so long. And I remember I would sit on my bed or sit in the backyard for like three hours and just read a book. And like, that does not happen (laughs) or go on a bike ride or whatever. I mean, not that it doesn't happen, but it's like, you're right. The kids, they reach for their phones. If they, if there's any moment in time where they're not, you know, in an organized activity or with a friend or whatever, they're reaching for their phones. And you know, one thing that drives me crazy too, is when you carpool and you get in the car and these kids immediately get on their phone, the ones in the back seat. And I have thought so many times, can we have this be a device free? I mean, it's 15 minutes in the car. If we were going on an hour car ride, then that's one thing maybe after a while, but why can't we talk to each other? For 10 or 15 minutes, you know, and I I am so close to saying that my daughter will be like mortified, but I am so close to it. I I just, I think cars, it goes, yes. It gets back to the communication that you mentioned or the the connecting. Yeah. Like, why can't we use this time to connect? And that like, when we talked about device-free zones earlier, they can be like, we mentioned tables and bedtimes, but cars are a great one. Or like for our family, it's sporting events. If we take our kids to a, we live in Kansas City, if we go to a Chiefs game or a Royals game, 
Yes, you can take a photo and then it is device free for all of us. I love that. And it's so random, but for our family, it's like, this is just a place that we've created that. And I think car is huge because there are so many things where your kid may not open up like about something hard that happened at school that day. But like, sometimes that's like the only like 10 minutes where they themselves are kind of processing and debriefing. And sometimes like at minute nine, you'll suddenly be like, oh, you know, that happens in our car. (laughs) Yeah. Like right. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're, you're not facing them. So you don't have necessarily eye contact and they may disclose something or open up yes. about a topic that they wouldn't if you were looking at them in the eye. Yes, especially cars the, the are teenagers. amazing like that. Yeah. So I think, I mean, the thing that's hard though, Stephanie is, I mean, and I'm struggling with this myself, even in my work is like, okay, so you're right. Your daughter would be like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. How could you even do this? And so I don't know if it's like, hey, we're going to try this for a week or... You know, you get little like pockets that go over the headrest and it's like each person's phone goes in. Well, that would probably be too bad because then they'd be staring at their phone in a case and it would just be like, they can't even talk. But, you know, is it some fun song? Is it some, I don't know. But to you have to find the right way to like trigger it. But Or just to say, one of the things that we say a lot is, hey, are you in for doing an experiment? We're going to try it for a week. Mm-hmm. I yes. know this is crazy. I talked about this on my podcast today. And I'm just going to try it because you have to then try it for the enough of time, like a week, a week is probably the right magic number where it doesn't feel ridiculous. But, but then by the end of the week, they might actually start to be like, okay, hey, yeah, I'm kind of enjoying this. Yeah. Or, you know, pay attention to what's around you. I mean, it's anyway, we can. I'm wondering if we can transition into talking about the side effects of screen use in general, because I know that's something you mentioned earlier that it's really important for parents to understand that and for kids to understand that, frankly. Yeah. I mean, there's so many dimensions because I think that one of the aspects about screens is it's not just like with something like smoking, it's this specific chemical that's doing these different things to your body. And I think what's hard about devices is it almost just amplifies all sorts of different things in life. So if you talk about side effects, you know, we could go into the challenges of comparison and body image and the fact that eating disorders are starting younger and younger and younger and more and more and more. And um, we can talk about how we hear so many times from school counselors that fifth grade girls, that's the particular age that they focus on so much. They hear these stories about fifth grade girls who are cutting themselves when they post something on Instagram and it doesn't get enough likes. That's so right? young. That's, so, that's so heartbreaking. Young. I mean, yes. I that's absolutely heartbreaking. It's mm-hmm. heartbreaking. Um, there's obviously also, we talked about porn. I mean, porn is very destructive. It has a lot of different side effects. But one is there's this increase. This is crazy. I mean, I'm just listing, but but you'll see there are so many different side effects. So we could talk about various aspects of it. But um, one of the most tragic things about exposure to porn, especially at an early age, I mean, it, it changes the wiring of kids' brains for their relationships that they have later. But also there's this horrifying trend that um, just like many other things, I mentioned we live in Kansas City. We have a very popular quarterback, Mr. Patrick Mahomes. And kids will copy everything he does. They will get his haircut. They will throw like him. They will dress like him. Our kids, what they see is what they act out. 
And so if we have kids who are spending a lot of time being inundated with violent sexual abuse, there is this horrible trend that that is now happening. What kids are seeing, they are doing. <clears throat> and so we work with a woman who is a sexual assault nurse examiner who, who has shared that as she has worked in this space, the average age of sexual assault predator has dropped so that their biggest age of kids, uh, kids doing like acting out the sexual assault is kids age 11 to 15. That is oh the biggest age range of sexual predators. That she says is only because of exposure. So in the past, if you ever had a kid who was acting out sexually on another kid, it was like an immediate red flag, not to make it okay what they did, but it was an immediate signal that that kid had almost positively been sexually abused because she talks about how physical abuse is natural. I mean, you see it with like one-year-olds. They're like already starting to like kick, bite, whatever. Verbal abuse, not saying either of these things are okay, but verbal attacks are again, something that's innate. Sexual um, abuse like that, it is only something that is learned. And so what's happened is basically kids have so much access to this, it normalizes it. So <clears throat> there are a lot of there are a lot of difference that you think I should mention, or if you guys have any specific areas that you want me to go down, I certainly, I certainly can. Well, I just I, it's so upset. Like this is so disturbing to me. So thinking about you know the eating disorders, the body image comparison, the cutting, the sexual assault, all of that. What if I'm understanding right? You're saying that because these kids are seeing this done on their phones, in, on social media, or maybe video games or whatever, they're then acting these things out. Like, like with the fifth grade girls, that seems so young to me. I don't. I didn't even know what cutting was in fifth grade. Yeah, uh, so, so are they seeing that <clears throat> on their phones, and then they're thinking, "Oh, that looks interesting. I'm going to try it." Like, I, I, like great that sounds question. So scary to me. Great question. So. The acting it out, seeing it and acting it out, I'm specifically talking about porn, but it does apply to cutting as well. I mean, basically what's happening with cutting, it's a little bit different than the porn thing. The, the deepest thing is that they are seeing something or they're, they're not getting enough likes and they feel sad and they don't know what to do with that. It's not necessarily that they're just watching videos about cutting, but they have learned about cutting through most oftentimes social media. There's a lot of things that our kids are learning about that, I mean, obviously, certainly how much and how early do we talk with our kids about suicide nowadays? Because it's unfortunately like something that, and we hear from so many parents, even if they've never talked to some young kids, kids are hearing about it. So a lot of the different self-harm, it's not necessarily that they're following someone who's demonstrating, I'm going to cut myself, but they're, they're then feeling sad. And so then that's somehow gravitating them towards Googling, like, I'm sad, what do I do or whatever, or they find an influencer or they're talking with someone like, you know, sometimes other kids are like, oh yeah, when I'm sad, I cut myself or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, kids, like, I agree. I never would have known what that was when I was in fifth grade. I never would have even conceived to do that. It's, it's really hard. The world, they just have so much access. And sometimes so, it, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it makes me think like, so my kids always talk about TikTok, for example. So my daughter got on TikTok initially because she's a dancer and it was really fun to make these fun dances. And I was like, oh, this is harmless, right? Like she's spending her time dancing with her friends on TikTok. Like how bad can that be? But now 
there's way more on TikTok than when it started, obviously. And I don't even know how to monitor what, you know, I have TikTok on my phone so I can understand it and know what they're doing. And I know there's this whole like for you page. You have like, I don't even know how it decides what comes up on your for you page, but how do you monitor that? TikTok is one of the hardest ones, I would say, because of what you're saying. It's, it uses an entirely different type of algorithm. So it's not like you're following people because if it was something in Instagram, then you could find out, hey, who are the top 10 influencers or friends who my daughter's following? And I can follow them too, just not to try to stalk her, but just to see what types of content is she doing. But mm -hmm. on TikTok, it's totally individualized. They're sending you that stuff that they believe is of interest to you. And there was a big expose about how at, in the TikTok algorithm, they basically, I mean, they get to know you and your sensitivities extremely fast. They know you better than you do. And so there are things where like TikTok has a hypothesis about someone's gender identity or sexual preference or any proclivity that they have and how quickly they will start to drive people towards content on that topic, which then kind of becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I want to be like, TikTok, if you can tell that this, this girl, I'll just say, is searching or, or seems to be continually draw, drawn to things that maybe are the same type of content that has to do with, you know, pro-Anna, which like promotes anorexia or thinspo, which is a big hashtag, like thin inspiration. Like, don't feed that. Don't feed right. that interest. But the way that the algorithm works there, it does. It absolutely is channeling. I've heard people say, if you're ever setting your kid up for the first time on TikTok, because apparently the first 30 to 40 minutes are like the most pivotal minutes. I mean, it still affects later, but that's when they start that. Like do it when your kid is at their absolute best, <laughs> you know, just like they're in their best mood they could be so that they don't have as many of those things. The best recommendation we have for TikTok is to try to, like you do, Marnie, follow it yourself. And then when you get some weird video on the For You page, which I mean, for some of us could happen like every time we open it, leaning over to your daughter and being like, whoa, look at what this is recommending to me. It's telling me I should be filing my teeth. And if I don't file my teeth, like I'm not pretty. Have you ever heard anything like that? That's crazy. That's the best approach that we have to basically then hear if she's like, whoa, I have seen that. Is that not, you know, and then you might find out that she sees that a lot and she's wondered, should she, should she file her teeth? And you're like, whoa. But just starting to have that conversation where you share your own like marvel at what the heck this or like, whoa, I was just looking at house remodels. And now all of a sudden it's showing me this woman who's telling me that I can only I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on the body image for some reason right now, but who's talking about how to have an 800 calorie day. That's mm -hmm. not healthy. And there's a ton of that on there. Yes. And I think you brought up mental health earlier, Tracy, and the implications that too much screen time has. And I think with girls, especially of this age, TikTok and the other apps and Snapchat, and how do you, you know, how do you monitor it? How do you try to set and establish boundaries as a parent? Because um, I can go on and see like, okay, here's your screen time for the day. And here's how much time you spent on TikTok. But I have no idea what she actually took in. And that's to me is what's scary. And you can't, you know, just review text messages anymore because there's so much that happens outside the text. I know. That, that so you will true. never see. So I, you know, it kind of gets back to like having these conversations and having the device free time and having yes. there be other things that they are doing to connect with people outside of the device. 
And maybe what you're saying is like that like balances out. So, you know, if you're on your device and maybe you've seen something that's not something that's appropriate for you to see, but then you're also spending time outside and you're active and you're having conversations with your parents that maybe what you're saying that being open and having that connection will kind of help balance out some of the- It will help. It'll still be hard. But to the point of conversations, it's really hard for parents to know how to start these conversations. So one tool- but I can mention we have this thing. It's called a social media playbook. We can send you one. But um, it is most targeted towards before someone enters the social media world. But it can also be done once you're already on it. Again, we love to talk about leading with empathy. The parent should get a copy of this too and be like, I'm going to go through this too. But it basically helps to lay out some of the key questions you might want to think about. So there are eight different spreads and you can see it's really light it's basically like a little journal it's just reflecting so the first one is note your values if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything the more you stay focused on your values the better you'll reflect them in the social media world and then the question side of the page says what are the core bodies i want to value uh, what are the core values i want to embody in my life here are the values that matter most to me you can check them you can enter other ones how could social media help me support and live these values How can social media get in the way of me living these values? You know, that's just one of the topics, but it goes on to other things about, you know, how do you engage authentically? You know, what are the adjectives that you hope people use to describe your account? You mentioned, Marnie, about your daughter who's dancing. How how quickly does it devolve from a dancing page into like a lifestyle thing? So the more that you can set your intentions of, hey, what I want to do is I want to do things with my friends that do this. You know, it just, so this really helps you start that conversation it's a hard, it's a hard world that we live in of keeping it up. But then you've now started to have that conversation with your kids. And especially as they get older, it really is about going back to them and saying, how's it going? What are you seeing? What's hard? How can I help you? Um, Some of those types of things. That's amazing. I think that the tools and um, information that you give to parents and it's wonderful. I wish, you know, my kids are getting older and I'm actually, as we're having this conversation, I'm sending my second off to college this weekend and thinking about, okay, now she's going to be in a dorm room with a cell phone. There's no bathroom to charge it in. Yeah. I mean, the bathroom is down the hall that she's not going to leave her phone <laughs> no. down the hall. So, so what is she going to do? Like, I don't even know how to advise her. Like where, where should she put her cell phone? So it's not, and her computer and her iPad and all these devices that are living in this tiny room with her. And I think at that, it is overwhelming. It's overwhelming for her, but it's what a, such an amazing opportunity to be able to say, what do you think? Hey, this feels hard. What do you think? Where do you think you might want to put your phone? Should we go buy like a little felt sleeping bag that your phone can go in? Do you want to put it under your bed? Do you want to put it? You don't have like an acknowledging wow, this is a hard transition. You don't even have many options. Is there any way I can help? How are you thinking through this? Um, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how she starts to digest it or if she's like, and, and she might say, I'm actually sleep, I actually intend to sleep with my phone right by my pillow. I've never gotten to do this before. And that's something I'm going to do. But because of how much <laughs> Oh, I hope that doesn't happen. So I'm saying that as like an extreme. But what we hear so often from families who, because now we're, you know, four or five years in, is the families who have done some of that groundwork, a lot of times it sticks more than you think. So you might have a kiddo who's like, yeah, I am going to plug it next to my phone. And by the time they come home for Thanksgiving, whether they tell you or not, um, they might be like, oh, I really was so tired all the time. 
Because the longer that it gets, like a kid in college, there's already a lot going on, but they're able to have some lived experience of what it was like not having their phone. And so they then can make that comparison and see, ooh, I am tired or whatever. But it is, it is so hard. So, so hard. So hard. So Tracy, you mentioned this one free resource, your social media yeah. playbook, but where can people find you? And just what are some other um, resources, free programs and resources that yes. folks listening can access? Yes. So we are a nonprofit um, and our goal is to just help as many people as we can at our website, screensanity.org. You can find information on all of our tools. We have a video game decision tree, the babysitter's guide that I mentioned, a smartphone toolkit for when you are giving your kids a phone for the first time, a little thing that you can work through with them. And then our program, the Screen Sanity Group Study. So all of those are available on our website. And some of them, if you want the really nice hard copy, you can find links to grab those on Amazon so that you can have the hard copy. That's amazing. I, I'm super excited about all these resources. I was kind of digging through them before this conversation and I'm excited to start having these conversations with mm-hmm. my own family at home and really implement. <laughs> um, so we love leaving our listeners with some simple and practical tips or strategies that they can implement you know, really right after hearing this conversation. And I'm wondering what would be a tip that you would suggest for anyone kind of wanting to flourish more in this digital age? I think one of mine would be um, the other day, I was just super stressed out and just burned out on all sorts of different things. And it can be so easy to just like cave in. And I think anything that you can do to step out and serve others is one of the best ways to help you reconnect with some of the depth of life. Finding some way to find someone in need and meet that need, be it dropping off a meal or flowers or just sitting and talking. I think that reconnects with so much of just who we are as humans. That's wonderful. That's just like a wonderful tip and inspiration for our listeners to to take away. So this has been such like an enlightening conversation and really like inspiring and empowering to know that there's real reason behind our desire as parents to reduce the screen time and just having these resources in this community, I think will empower a lot of parents out there to take action and do the hard work when it comes to managing the the screen and the tech usage in their house. So thank you so much for being on our show today. And one final question we love to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Well, I think a lot of it is actually what I maybe was just talking about with service. So I don't know if I can say ditto, but I think to me, living well is feeling like I'm showing up in the way that I want to show up and being present. For me, unfortunately, that means working on my skills of saying no, but saying no so that I can say to the, say yes to the things that I know matter most. I love that. It's simple and it makes so much sense and... I but it's so more. hard. It's so it's hard, so but any tips? <laughs> it's, well, it's the things that are simple that are also the hardest and most challenging to implement. That's right. But so worth it. So worth but it. it's like, even as we're having this conversation, I keep thinking, okay, I have two and I'm going to have two in college now. Like, why didn't I do this sooner? Like, you know, because you know what the, oh my gosh, what is that amazing woman? Mother Teresa. She said, when you know better, you do better. And you yes. were just one of the people, yes. Marnie, who had to be on the front lines of 
this new world, you know? And I bet you did, based on what you're saying, I bet you did the absolute best you possibly could. And now we're just getting more information that can help those kiddos and moms a little bit, you know, earlier on in their phase, but. Yeah, I, that's great. And that's a great way to end it because we don't want parents <laughs> listening to this think, oh my gosh, I've like damaged my children because I've allowed too much screen time or we, I know they've seen porn or what have you. No, now you know, <laughs> now you're equipped with information and now you can take some baby steps and start doing some of these tips and um, yes. suggestions that you mentioned, so. And Tracy, I feel like we could have you back because there are so many questions I I still have for you and we're running out of time here. So we'll have to have you back for a part two, maybe dealing with significant others. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I understand that completely. Okay. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. Have a great one. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.